reading this morning is from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have placed, you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man, that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, if you'd like to keep your Bibles open to that passage, that will help you to follow along. Uh, but let's pray for God's help that we can understand it. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thanks that you've revealed yourself through your word and for this great part of your word that we're looking at this morning. Uh, we pray that you'd help us to understand it uh, that, and that you'd use it to grow us in our love for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to begin with a question, and that is, how great do you think we are? How great do you think we are? Well, I remember watching a video clip of a young fighter, Cassius Clay, who shared what he thought about this. He'd just beaten an opponent who everyone said was invincible. As the bell rung, he knew that he'd won, and so he raised his hands into the air. He started shuffling his feet all over the ring. The crowd rose and erupted with cheering. And then he made his way over to a reporter and shouted into the microphone, I am the greatest, in a much cooler way than that. <laughs> I am the greatest. He then soon changed his name to Muhammad Ali and this became his whole way of thinking. I am the greatest. He made a music album titled, I am the greatest. He made a movie called, The Greatest. Uh, and if you want, you can even get your own I Am The Greatest t-shirt. And we do want to be great, don't we? I mean, who doesn't? Who here is currently trying to work their way down the company ladder this morning? Of the musicians, who is striving to be a backup vocalist? And who here dreams of missing the winning shot in a grand final? No, we want to be great. And so we honour those who do well. We say Lionel Messi is one of the great soccer players. Uh, we say Johnny Depp is a great actor. And we say the Beatles are one of the greatest music acts of all time. But when you think about it, can we really say that we're great? Can we really say, I am the greatest? Well, the psalm that we're looking at this morning puts us in our place because the author of it, King David, says that it's God who's great. And he does this by showing us three things. How great God is, how small we are, but how privileged we are. And so firstly in verses 1 to 2, David shows us how great God is. He says, Lord, you're the greatest. 
David's reflecting on God's name. That is what God's like. And as he does, his amazement of God just flows out of him with words like this. He says, Lord, you're majestic. Now we know what majestic means. It gives us the idea of greatness or honour. So when you say your majesty to someone, what you're telling them is, I think you're very great. So David is saying, Lord, I think you're great. There's no name greater than yours. No name more newsworthy that deserves our thoughts and our attention. You're greater than everyone else. And how is it that David knows that God is so great? Well, he knows it because he sees God's greatness in everything around him, in all of creation, even the weakest parts of it. Notice in verse 2, he says, From the lips of children and infants you've ordained praise. So David's saying, Lord, when I see the weakest people, children and infants, speak your name, there's something powerful about it. And the reason is you use their words to defeat your enemies and this shows your glory. So God's greatness can be seen in the weakest things that have been made. And if God's greatness can be seen in the weakest things, then it can be seen in everything, in all of creation. It shows that God is infinitely great. Just take a look at verses 1 to 2. David says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So David's saying, Lord, you're infinitely great. And so when you think about someone like Muhammad Ali saying, I am the greatest, can this really be the case? Can we really say, I am the greatest? Well, secondly, in verses 3 to 4, we see how small we are. God's greatness puts us in our place and we see how small we are. David looks up at the sky and now he thinks about the larger parts of creation. He sees the moon and hundreds of different stars and planet after planet and his breath is taken away by how enormous it is. And we've probably all felt like this at some stage, haven't we? We've been amazed at how large the universe is. But notice David's not just amazed at at the size of the universe. He's amazed because he realises that everything he's looking at is the handiwork of God. God has made it all. God's the mighty creator. And so David's thinking, Lord, you made all this. How big must you be? Take a look at what he says in verse 3. He says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you, you God, have set in place. And just imagine what David would have been looking at. He would have looked up at the sky and seen thousands of little bright lights. And he was amazed at God. But we have even more reason to be astonished at God. We know that every one of those little bright lights are massive balls of burning gas. That there are millions and millions of them up there. And yet God knows every single one of them by name. And when David looked up, he would have seen the sky going for as far as his eyes could have seen. But we have an even greater idea of what's up there. That our entire planet is like a marble 
compared to the other planets in our solar system. That it's like a tiny speck compared to our galaxy. And then when you compare it to the universe, well, it's just somewhere in there. And God has created all of this and more. And if God has made such an enormous universe, well, what else has he made? Well, he's thought about every intricate part of the world. He's made the ant, which has a tiny brain, and yet it's not lazy. It knows to go and store up food. He's created oxygen in the air so that we can breathe and survive. And he's created DNA, which is so, so, so microscopic that scientists need to use dye to be able to see it. God, so if God has made all of this, how great is our God? And as David considers how great God is, David realises how small he is, how puny he is. David says, Lord, you've made a universe that's infinitely large and I'm just a man. I'm just a tiny part of your creation. I'm nothing compared to you. David recognises that he's not anything compared to God, anything great compared to God. It's God who's great. And so when he thinks about this, when he thinks about how small he is, it leads him to ask, Lord, why would you care for me? Why would you even think about me at all? We see it in verse 4. He says, What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. And David's thinking makes sense because compared to God, we're not great. We're puny. I mean, at the end of the day, we're each one of seven billion people on this planet. And sure, we strive for greatness, but soon enough, we'll all be forgotten. Not many of us will end up leaving a footprint. Whatever we achieve in our jobs will be undone sooner or later. And although our family members will remember us for a little while after we pass on, even they will forget us within a few generations. And sure, sometimes we do produce wonderful things. We make remarkable buildings like the Eureka Tower. We create artificial arms and legs. And of course, we're up to the iPhone 6 now. But we're still not great compared to God. Uh, Sure, we can make buildings, prosthetics and phones, but at the end of the day, we're still breathing air we didn't make. So although we strive for greatness, we can't compare to God. So when you think about it, why would God care for people as small as us? Why would he even give us a second thought? And yet the amazing thing is, God is so great that he does care for us. And we know this because he's made us for greatness. He's made us to be special. So thirdly, in verses 5 to 8, we see how special we are. David understands that he's been made special. In verse 6 he says that God has made us just a little bit lower than the heavenly beings. And we know that they're powerful beings who are gathered around God's throne. So this is a position of greatness and honour. And this position involves ruling over the creation. You see, in verses 6 to 8, David lists all the things we've been placed in charge of. The sheep, cattle, beasts, birds and fish. And this sounds a lot like the list that we can read in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, in verse 26, says, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, 
and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then when we flick forward to Genesis 2, uh, we see this rule in verse 19. Uh, it says that God brought the animals to the man to see what the man would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So God has given us a special position of ruling over the creation by caring for it. And so when you think about it, how great is God that he would do this for us? He's entrusted the beast to us. He's given us the privilege of ruling over the horse, the elephant, the giraffe. It's not the job of the sheep or the donkeys to tell us what to do. And the koalas aren't the ones who are running Melbourne Zoo. God has made us to be rulers. Take a look at verses 5 to 8. David says, You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. So God has made us to be special rulers over the creation. He's made us for greatness. And this is why we want to be great. We've been made for greatness. But when you think about it, how have we gone at ruling the world? Well, we haven't done a very good job. We can see all around us that we haven't ruled as we should. I mean, just look at the news. We're the cause for starting bushfires over summer. We hunt whales instead of caring for them. And we're constantly hurting each other. I think over the last century there's been over a hundred wars. This is not ruling the world. And at the heart of the problem it's not an environmental or a political issue. It's that we're, re- we're rebels. And this is what we see in Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, the whole order of creation was turned upside down. So the snake deceived the woman, the woman tempted the man, and then they both rejected God. And because of this, the whole creation was cursed. So rather than ruling the world, we've rebelled against God and we've messed it up. So does this mean that God has just forgotten about us then? Has he forsaken us so that we're just nothing now? Well, amazingly, no, because this psalm is about one other person, one who was made a little lower than the heavenly beings and has been crowned with glory and honour, one who perfectly rules the world as God intended and fixes up the world. But who is this person? Who is it who will be the one who fixes up the world? Can uh, Tony Abbott or Bill Shorten fix up the world? Can Barack Obama make the world right? Well, as good as these leaders are, they can't possibly fix up the world. Only God's Son can. You see, Hebrews 2, which we read a little bit earlier, tells us that Jesus is the one who is made a little lower than the heavenly beings. While still being God, he he humbled himself and came to the world as a man. And through his death, he was crowned with glory and honour. And he's the one who rules the world perfectly. When he speaks, creation listens to him. 
and he's ruling over the world right now. Even though we don't fully see his perfect rule just yet, we will in the world to come. Jesus is the one who will fix up the world and will see him ruling perfectly over everything. And this is what Hebrews 2 is telling us in verses 5 to 9. It quotes the psalm and then particularly in verses 8 to 9 it says, In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So Jesus rules perfectly over the world and this shows God's greatness. We see God's greatness in the greatness of Jesus. And what does this mean for us? Well, God allows us to be partakers in Jesus' rule. Even though we haven't ruled as we should, we've caused bushfires, we've hunted whales and we've hurt each other, Jesus rules perfectly. And so when we trust in him, God allows us to reign with him as rulers over the creation. And how do we rule? Well, we point people to Jesus. We share the gospel. And we know that we'll also rule with him in the future as well. That's what Revelation 5, chapter 5, verse 10 says. It says, They, that being God's people, will reign on the earth. And so when you think about it, how amazing is God that he allows this to happen? You and I have failed and we've messed up the world. But God sends Jesus who wins back our position of ruling over the world. And so we share in his glory and reign with him. Now if this doesn't cause you to say, how great is our God, then I'm not sure what will. So who is great? Muhammad Ali declared, I am the greatest. Uh, You and I, we strive to be the greatest and we honour those who we see as being great. But this morning we've seen that it's God who's the greatest. He's so much greater than us. And we see his greatness most clearly in Jesus' perfect rule. And when you think about it, if God is this great, then how can we not delight in him? How can we not live for him? You see, I wonder how many of us are delighting in God at the moment. Can you say that you're enjoying him, admiring him, treasuring him? You know, sometimes we get to the point where we're doing Christian things, like going to church or going to Bible study, but it's just out of habit. There's no delight. But don't you want to delight in God and enjoy him? Well, what we really need to do then is we need to remind ourselves of God's greatness and reflect on it. And we can do this by marvelling at the creation, seeing that God has made all of this, and especially by reflecting on what God has done for us in Jesus. That you and I have failed to rule the world as we should, but God sent Jesus who rules perfectly, and so he allows us to share in Jesus' glory and reign in him. God is so great that he would do this for us. And this will lead us to delight in him. We'll admire him far more than we do uh, any sports star, movie star or musician. It will cause us to say, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are great and we see this all around us. We see it in creation and especially we see it in Jesus' perfect rule. Lord, we do pray that you'd help us to be gripped by this, that it would lead us to delight in you and that it would, make, that it would help us to make you our greatest joy, that we'd find our joy in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.